They may not have seen it all, but they've experienced. Fourth and 26. Stinks in a trash. AI's crossover. Throwing batteries at J.D. Drew. Brad Lidge hugging Carlos Ruiz. The Legion of Doom. And thousands of wins and losses over three decades of fandom. Talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast. Here are your hosts, Joe O'Donnell and John Mita. What's shaking, iCloud? iCloud. <laughs> That's a good start. I have an iCloud, but we're not on it. <laughs> iTunes, SoundCloud. Joe Donald, John Mead, a brotherly love podcast. We could restart things, but nobody's listening anyway. How are you, brother? Good, buddy. How you doing? Yeah, no complaints at all, man. I am uh, I'm doing well. Uh, I'm glad we can get back at it here. Two podcasts in a week is something that uh, we haven't had a lot of lately, so certainly a lot to get into, and, um, and I'm looking forward to it. How about you? Me too. Always, buddy. Always, man. There's a, there's a lot. It went on since our last podcast. Yeah, yeah. We'll uh, we'll talk a little bit about the the Mayweather McGregor fight, which is now just a couple of weeks away. We're gonna have some bold predictions for your Philadelphia Eagles. We'll talk about the Ezekiel Elliott suspension, or at least uh, prior to his appeal, which is expected to come here shortly. Again, it's the Brotherly Love Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Love Podcast. But uh, I I want to start John Mita with with the following comments here. I think he's going to be traded. Hmm. Who was that? Recall that voice? Recognize that yeah. voice? <laughs> I do recognize that voice. That was me when you held my feet to the fire and asked me if Jordan Matthews is going to get traded or not. Yep. That was uh, not even a week ago or basically right on a week ago. And uh, it didn't take long. You said? I think he's going to be traded. And he was. Now, it wasn't to the Broncos for, for Roby that – Kind of their depth cornerback, you were hoping, but they get a starting cornerback to the Eagles. They get Ronald Darby in the house, and uh, they also, with Matthews, ship a draft pick to the Buffalo Bills. So it's Jordan Matthews and a third rounder to Buffalo. They get Ronald Dar- uh, Ronald Darby, a starting cornerback, back in return. I think you know how I feel about this. I'm still bent out of shape. I'm still upset. I'm biased. I love Jordan Matthews, okay? I'm a Jordan Matthews guy. Maybe as much as anybody that bleeds green out there listening to this podcast. So I'm obviously a bit biased. Your take on the trade, did they get enough in return? Yeah. I mean, this was a position of need, and they finally got themselves a corner. Well, a guy that they can count on to play corner for this football team for the next, you know, five to eight years. He's a really young kid. Um, He's from Florida, Florida State University. Some people call that place D-back you. And, um, you know, he's physical. He had a really good rookie season. Last year, he kind of fell off. And I think the reason why he fell off, it was more of a scheme thing than anything else. They played a lot more zone last year as opposed to when, you know, when Rex Ryan was the head man there and Darby, they drafted Darby. He was more of that press man corner. And the future looks bright now if, if Darby fulfills this position and then you get Sidney Jones back from, in, you know, from injuries, and you got some other young kids. I, I, I'm just saying, thank God we have a legitimate corner on this team. And when I said like last podcast, I said 
could you imagine if this team had just one decent or good corner? You know, that might propel them from the eight and eight to nine and seven to ten and six and possibly winning the division. And what about the fact now that the rest of the wide receiving core is pretty much unknown to the starting quarterback? You know, I, and let's take the locker room stuff out of it for a minute because I'm going to get there and, and what the you know what that might do to a locker room. Okay, and I and I'm going to try not to overstate it when I get there. But let's talk about the chemistry with a quarterback and his receiving core. And you tell me right now who has the most chemistry with Carson Wentz on this football team at the wide receiver position. Who is it? Nelson Aguilar? Easily Nelson Aguilar. Well, that's pretty scary, isn't it? No. Yeah. Um, no, I – Answer the question. That, is that scary or not? It is scary. Did they take away Carson Wentz's security blanket, but did they address a need where they – See, the, the reason why this makes sense is they kind of have some depth at that position. Okay, but, but, they do have depth. Yeah, at the but wide the depth position. hasn't proven itself in Eagles colors, my friend. Well, Alshon Jeffrey, as much as he could be a stud and might catch twelve hundred yards worth of passes and and a dozen touchdowns and make everybody quickly forget about Jordan Matthews, Jeremy Macklin, Deshaun Jackson. There's still a little unknown there with Alshon Jeffrey. Um, because he's not a 10-year guy that's done it every year. He's not a seven-time Pro Bowler. He's still young. He's had some ups and downs. He's had a suspension, and he hasn't been on the football field very much this spring. Again, I'm not going to put a lot of stock in that because that's a waste of time. But, you know, Torrey Smith, yeah, veteran guy, certainly like the upgrade. But then you go Matt Collins, rookie. Aguilar could barely stay on the field last year. In fact, at times he couldn't stay on the field. And then a bunch of guys nobody's ever heard of at the wide receiver position. I understand Ertz and Sproles, Selleck, Trey Burton, et cetera, have rapport with their quarterback. But at the outside and slot wide receiver positions, it's Nelson Aguilar and nobody else that's even caught a pass really in the NFL from from Carson Wentz. I think that's got to be at least somewhat a question mark. Maybe not concerning, but a question mark moving forward, and we'll see how it plays out. You do have a reason to be concerned, but there, I don't know. Matt Collins last something that he could be Matthew's direct replacement. And now you've just upgraded your defense big time. And the other thing that you have to worry about too is, listen, let's face it, Jordan Matthews was going to walk. The Eagles were going to You don't know that, though. You don't know that. Yes, we do know that. What do you mean we don't know that? Of course we know that. Because he could get $10 million on the open market. He could, but he hasn't yet. That's true. Jeremy Macklin walked. Nobody thought Jeremy Macklin was going to walk. He did. What's to say Matthews wouldn't have stayed? What's to say Matthews and Wentz and that relationship that he says, you know what, I don't want to make $10 million a year. I'm content making six and staying in Philadelphia. Athletes have done that before. But there's a couple guys that you're going to have to pay on this team, Okay. If, if Alshon Jeffrey has a good year, you're going to have to pay him. Yeah, but he can also hit the open market. Who's Who is going to get more money? If Alshon Jeffrey has a Pro Bowl year, who's going to get more money thrown at him, him or Jordan Matthews? Who's a better player? I think well, it's pretty Sure, exactly. So who are you more likely to lose? What does Alshon Al- Jeffrey owe to the city of Philadelphia or the Eagles organization? Nothing. He plays one year here, has a good year. He could go sign for a, essentially a max deal to steal an NBA, ter- uh, NBA term and go play in any other city in the NFL. He won't even blink an eye. Yeah, but Joe, you have to remember one thing. He's on the waste wagon, Joe. He's on the waste oh wagon. Oh, my gosh. And 
<laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, you bring up some valid good points. Yeah, and I I, I, I don't you. like the I don't like the roster roulette either for what that's worth. All right, Howie Roseman runs his team like it's fantasy football, and we get all caught up in these moves he makes. And I saw Crossing Broad talk about it today on his blog, Kyle Scott there, but. You know, how many of these moves have actually worked out? Where We look at it on paper. You know what? That was a great trade. You know what? That was a good decision. And then at the end of the day, it backfired. It's a numbers game. You make all these moves, like the Phillies. They sign patchwork players in the offseason because they're not ready to win. One out of two, you might as well flip a coin. Howie Kendrick worked out. That clown that was uh, came in from Toronto, Michael Saunders, he's not even in baseball right now as far as I know. So, I mean, you, you, can, you can flip a coin on a lot of these moves because that's just the way pro sports works. And I know that might be a bit of a whack-ass analogy comparing the Phillies and the Eagles, but when you make all these moves, they're not all going to pan out. Either Jeffrey or Torrey Smith, I told you earlier, one of those two guys is going to be a disappointment. Just book it. It's going to happen. You know, let's be a little more positive than that. All right. <laughs> can, I, can I be negative for one more minute? Just one sure, more. Can you grant me that? They, yeah, one more or, or let me. Let, I'll pose it as a question. How much stock do you put into the chemistry and the locker room leadership and the fact that Jordan Matthews is well-liked? It wasn't just Carson Wentz's butt buddy coming out. It was Malcolm Jenkins on the defensive side. It was Zach Ertz. It was these guys that said they appreciated the hard work he put in, the time he put in. The Eagles put out a, a freaking post on social media that made Jordan Matthews, like, he, they put him in my standard. Like I have Jordan Matthews on a pedestal. The Eagles, the Eagles matched that with some video, like thanking him for his service here. Uh, obviously, there are some repercussions to this move in the locker room and around the organization. He was well liked. It's a tough business, but when it comes down to it, it comes to a business, and you upgrade a position which you desperately need due to the fact that the receiver play within our division. You got Odell Beckham. You got Des Bryant. This had to be done one way or another. Yes, did we use? Did we lose the best receiver on the team for the last three years? Yes, we did. But if you look at the big picture, I think it's easily going to be – it'll be a much easier task to find a slot receiver than it will be a starting cornerback. I guess we'll see. And look, trust me. I I know that social media, some of it's lip service. Oh, I love playing with this guy. But I get the sense this was a little bit more than that. And they moved a guy that was very well liked. And when you've got fifty-three people, fifty-three individuals, and they're and they've got to be a family. The more guys you make it family oriented, the better. And listen, by all accounts, from everything that I read, the reporters, everybody has reported that Ronald Darby is far and away the best defensive back on this team. Well, that's it. That, that speaks volumes about the crappy job they did in the off season. That doesn't well, tell me Ronald true, Darby's yeah. going to the Hall of Fame. That tells me they had piss-poor cornerbacks to begin with. Well, uh, what would you make of the preseason game? Let's just basically, you know, any depth sure. guys that stood out or uh, obviously the first the first series there for Wentz in the offense um, and the yeah. first-team defense as well. Lost to the Packers, but, hey, it's the preseason week one. Yeah. Um, you just had to love Carson Wentz's pocket awareness. He stayed poised. He hung in there. You know, some of the great quarterbacks in this league, what do they do? They make plays by sliding away from, you know, the pass rush. And he did a beautiful job of breaking tackles, very similar to, like, Big Ben, who I cannot stand. But um, (laughs) he made some great throws, great plays in the offense. Uh, I mean, the one concern was, you know, we couldn't get our running game going where's hell. So that was a concern. But, again, you know, the defensive backs, it just – 
again, it's preseason. It's hard to take stock in. I'll tell you the one kid that Trey Sullivan from, they got these two kids from Shepherd College, which I've never even heard of. <laughs> but the one kid, Trey Sullivan, laid out that guy in Green Bay. I don't even know. Is, is that guy okay? Because I don't even. <laughs> I don't even know what the yeah. reports are, but yeah. man, that was like a Dawkins-esque like hit. I mean, it was clean. He just buried that dude, and it was unbelievable. But again, it's so early in preseason. It's just nice to see that this team has to, an opportunity to to progress and move forward. And it's essentially it's all going to lie in the hands of Carson Wentz. I mean, he is he's the franchise. You know, what type of progression is he going to make from year one to year two? Already, all the teammates, people said night and day that he just looks better, understands you know, the game more, and it's going to be fun to watch. I can't wait for the season to come. All right, let's jump to some bold predictions for the Eagles and the National Football League as a whole. I, these better be bold, John Mina. I'm going to kick things off. Are you ready? This is, this is going to yeah. blow your socks off. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Bold prediction number one, Philadelphia Eagles. Jalen Mills makes the Pro Bowl. That's pretty bold. What do you got? (laughs) (laughs) How about this one? Zach Ertz catches 10 touchdowns this year. There's not a shot in hell that's happening. What are the Vegas odds on that? Career high. I love it. If he breaks 10 tackles all year, I'll buy a case of beer. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> That's a good one. All here's, right, here's my, uh, here's my bold prediction number two for the Eagles, and I pray to God this has not come true, but watching four yeah. minutes of preseason football the other night, I already wrote them off, and I, lo- sure. I love the signing at the time. But LeGarrette Blunt will be the next to Marco Murray for the Eagles' backfield. Oof. Oof. He's going to look slow. He's going to look out of place. He's going to be on the sidelines half the game. He's going to be getting booed, and everybody's going to be wondering what happened to LeGarrette Blunt. Not the same as DeMarco Murray, who was like the rushing champ and then fell off the face of the earth, but there will be some form of disappointment with LeGarrette Blunt. Again, I pray to the football gods this does not come to fruition, but just watching Poopy Peterson run him outside the tackle, running his jet sweeps with Aguilar, yada, yada. It was preseason game, three minutes of that offense being on the field, and I was like, man, Blunt does not look good at all. Yeah, and the offensive line didn't look good at all. But you did have, um, you know, there were some injuries up front. Um, I guess Brooks sat out, and then they had Chance Warmack start. But now, um, yeah, the running game just did not look good, and that's, again, moving forward for this football team. Are they going to find a feature back? via the draft I'll tell you what I I don't think that and that's a very fair question moving forward drafting a running back at some point I don't think they need a running back because I because Doug Peterson appears so uncommitted to running the football that it's like it's mind-boggling and if we I swear if I have to watch 45 passes a game from Carson Wentz and all this trickery and nonsense I I literally am going to put a remote through the flat screen it's not. I will not stand to watch a team that is so uncommitted to running the football that the other team on defense is like, well, we don't have to worry about them running because they won't run. I can understand why you're on red alert there due to the fact that Matt McCoyne for 40, slung the ball 42 times in a free I know. What are they trying there? to do, showcase him for a trade? Like, give me a break, uncle. Yeah, His arm probably right. felt like it was going to fall off after that game. Uh, is- all right. Any other bold Eagles predictions? I have a few from the NFL that I'd like to throw out there as well. Yeah, throw out the NFL ones. Go ahead. 
in light of the Ezekiel Elliott suspension, your NFL MVP will be Dak Prescott. That's a bold prediction. Another one I hope will not come to fruition. I think they don't make the playoffs. If he's, he's gone, if he's games. gone six games and they make the playoffs, he he better damn well be the MVP. And my other one, there will be two offensive rookies of the year. There will be co-winners this year because of all the talent in the uh, freshman class, if you will, the National Football League. So you will have co-offensive rookies of the year in the NFL, and that's my other bold prediction. Wow, wow, that is a bold prediction. I don't even know if they've ever split the award before. Probably look back on this come uh, January and, and wonder what I was smoking. All right, brother, let's talk about the Zeke suspension. He's uh, yeah. expected to appeal it. Uh, could be as early as today, the appeal. What'd you make of it? Uh, for me, you know, this isn't a football thing. It's it's obviously, you know, a life thing. It's a, it's a potential criminal matter if he's guilty. It's a legal situation. You got to take the football part out of it for a minute. I know as Eagles fans, it's great to see their you know their best player essentially or one of their best players gone for almost half the season possibly but you know it's football is football and life is way different than that and if any of this stuff is true or just the situation this guy put himself in not a good look again i thought the eagles should have taken him not that i watch college football or know anything about Ezekiel Elliott at Ohio State but at the time, I just wanted a playmaker. They moved into the top 10. And I'm thinking, you know, get the best offensive playmaker available. I could not be happier that that did not play out, that they didn't listen to my rant on Carson Wentz being from North Dakota State because this kid appears to be a winner and a leader, and I was way wrong, okay? But Ezekiel Elliott appears to be a half a scumbag, if not more than that. And this is m- way more than a football thing, um, if true some of these allegations about domestic violence and, and, and on down the line. He has not put himself in a good spot. He's a young player with a ton of talent, but he appears headed down the wrong path. And obviously, again, it's not a football thing here. We're talking about a woman, a victim, and when you look at some of the some of the knowledge, some of the evidence, um, you know, the Columbus PD, they basically they didn't never charged them, but they were kind of like we think he did it. We we believe he did it. Uh, so to me, it's, well, was he such a big factor, a big figure at Ohio State that you can't press charges as Columbus PD? Like you you walk that fine line because the school and the program are so larger than life there. Um, you know, he's a legend in that part of town. And then, you know, it appears the victim isn't suing him from everything I've gathered, so it's not a money grab. She took photos of her bruises. I mean, you do the math here. It seems like, there is some stuff there that the NFL saw and thought they had to make the appropriate and quick decision given the light of, of some of their other mistakes or other suspensions they've handed out or not handed out and caught you know some of the public outcry for. So it's not football. This is a bigger thing than football, but this is a kid that appears to be headed down a wrong path, and if he's got to sit six games to learn his lesson, so be it. He's an incredible talent, and I'm with you. I was kind of on the Ezekiel Elliott wagon before that I knew that they had the reins at a quarterback. But you look at the way the NFL has handled the domestic violence issue over the last couple of years, it hasn't been very good. You know, they give Ray Rice two games. Then the actual video comes out, and then they, he gets suspended for the season. So I think the NFL took their time with this one over the course of the year, and they had to make a stand. And if it's domestic violence, even though that he was never convicted in a court of law, 
I think there was so much damning evidence that they were able to gather through all their, you know, through all their resources, all the former law enforcement individuals that worked for the league. And um, that's kind of how they made the decision. And for him, it's not like, like this guy's been kind of like a multiple offender on several different fronts. Like, you know, he was out in Seattle. He was at the marijuana shop. And then he was, I mean, he didn't get in trouble for that. But then, you know, he lifted up some girl's shirt in Dallas. And then all of a sudden there's a bar fight. And apparently he knocked out a DJ. And that was something that was just so hysterical to me is that how that got swept under the carpet. Here's a guy, people saying that Ezekiel Elliott knocked the guy out, right? They show the video of the guy on the ground. He gets taken to the hospital. And now the next day, no one's coming forward. The guy who got his head knocked in, he won't come forward. Don't you think old Jerry Jones made that phone call? Hey, hey, young man, what's your name? Hey, wh- how, how much do you want me to make that check out to you? Okay, are hundreds good for you? I mean, that whole situation got swept under the carpet. So I think it's a culmination of several different violations that led to six games. Now, all likelihood, Ezekiel Elliott, he's going to appeal the suspension. It'll probably get reduced down to four. But I think the league needs to keep it six so that they can show that, listen, you're not too big for the game. You're not too big for this issue in our country. And just make a statement by up, you know, upholding the six-game suspension. And I, I'm glad that the league took action. Everybody thought that nothing was going to happen. I'm sure Dallas Cowboys and all their lawyer teams, they thought nothing was going to happen. But the, the commissioner has that power to suspend somebody. And it's not like they didn't take their time with this one. This has been investigated for an entire year. So I don't think they make the decision – or knowing that some new evidence will come out saying, like, the girl said that she made all this up or something along those lines. Now, I think all parties involved here, there's a lot of lying that's going on. And then she was kind of questioned by the Columbus Police Department. She kind of fabricated some of the story and then tried to get a girlfriend of hers to be a witness, and then the girlfriend of hers flipped on her. And that's why it was never taken to trial. But we'll see what happens. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. You know, if this suspension, if, if if his appeal that he filed today will make a difference at all. All right, let's switch gears for a minute. I want to talk about the Phillies for a half a second here. Reese Hoskins called up recently. Nice to see some of the future get an opportunity late season. Uh, a lot of the fan base probably felt like this should have happened over a month ago. But, you know, with Altair went healthy, Nick Williams, Reese Hoskins up. You know, Galvis, Hernandez, and and Herrera appear to be playing their best baseball of the year. They've actually been okay to watch for the last, I don't know, couple of weeks. And um, who knows where it goes from there. Aaron Nola is pitching like an ace again. There doesn't appear to be much after him on the rotation. But uh, nice to see Hoskins come up and and, and get a glimpse of this kid that was tearing up AAA. Yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, how long did Ryan Howard stay in the minor leagues? They had Jim Tomey here, and then they they probably brought him up two years too late. You know, he probably would have been better suited to start right away. Um, but I agree. you got to see moving forward. You have to bring up all the young kids that you think have a chance, especially with, you know, the September call-ups where you have that right to bring up some more you know, prospects. Maybe J.P. Crawford, he comes up. 
then do you, you know, move Freddie Galvis to second base, you know, and maybe trade Cesar Hernandez in the offseason. So you definitely want this new fusion of talent, and you want to see, you know, who's here to stay and who's here to go, and who can you count on? And that's, if you got this talent, there's what? Who else is down there? Kingery is another guy right. that they were talking they were talking about bringing up. So that's what made that 08 Philly team so great is they were able to just find all these studs within their own farm system. They didn't have to go outside and sign free agents. In baseball, sometimes free agency works, and sometimes it can be an absolute disaster. You just have to be fired, you know, fired aware as far as, you know, when you're making some of these moves. So. We'll one see of, what happens. One of the one quick one quick thing on baseball, the Los Angeles Dodgers right now, uh, they could they could literally not play another game and finish above five hundred. They they have eighty three wins or something already. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's it's absurd. Uh, I can't remember another team. I mean, if they they might finish with one hundred and ten wins, straight up. And that's you know you're talking elite elite company when you start winning more than 105 games in a season. Uh, Yasiel Puig, remember, he was in the minors playing for Oklahoma City. His career was over. What a reclamation project he's been, and they have not missed a beat. They are just pounding teams left and right on a nightly basis. From afar, it's been it's been kind of cool to watch them tear through baseball. Um, and, and speaking of tearing through baseball, how about tearing through a baseball? Giancarlo Stanton? He has 21 homers in his last, like, 40 games or something ridiculous, dude. He's had a homer in four straight. Like, that that guy is a giant meat stick, and if it's over the plate, he's hitting it 400 feet. It's unbelievable. Oh, uh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, it's the Dodgers. I mean, they're on their way. Can you imagine if they could? It's just mind-blowing. And, and what did they do at the trade deadline? You know, they're going for it all the way. They didn't stand pat. They acquired you, Darvish, another great starting Pitcher right. to add to their rotation, so they, they look like an unstoppable force in the in the National League. And it was so funny. There's this kid on Sports Center. I don't know. This kid's like he's this young kid. And I forget. I'll have to send it if I can find it. But like last year, like he projected that the Cubs would win the World Series, and then they brought him back on because like the Cubs haven't won the World Series in how many years? Right. And. So he was right on that. Then they brought him on, and he does all these formulas and everything else, and his prediction was that the Dodgers <laughs> in the World Series. So that kid's on fire. Can he predict the, the lottery kid. for us? I don't know, man. I don't know, but we got to get him on the payroll here at the Brotherly Love Podcast. I love it. <laughs> we got plenty of room on the payroll. All right, we are, uh, we are less than two weeks from Mayweather-McGregor, and, and just in case we don't have another podcast before then, McGregor training footage has surfaced, and he knocked oh, out yeah. this guy. And what do oh, you make? Yeah. I, I know we talked about the world tour. What a, you know, what a what a PR spin it was. When the gloves are yeah. on, the lights are on. August the twenty sixth. Who are you taking? Floyd Mayweather. I mean, if listen, like I said before, maybe a couple weeks ago in the podcast, like for the integrity of boxing, like Conor McGregor has nothing to lose. He's in the absolute ultimate underdog. But if Floyd Mayweather doesn't go in there and embarrass him, I mean, if this fight were to go more than six rounds, that that's an embarrassment to boxing. So, and the other thing is, what makes Floyd Mayweather one of the greatest fighters is that he never gets hit. You look at all the guys that he fights, 
his face looks perfect after a boxing match and some of these other guys because he's just he's such a defensive tactician. He just doesn't let anybody get close to him. And it's not a, a great brand of boxing to watch. It, I mean, it is completely boring, really boring. But that's what I make it. I, I think Floyd's going to end up. I mean, he should be able to put him out in three rounds. I think McGregor's coming yeah. out, opening bell, and he's coming across there like a bat out of hell. I don't know what's going to happen thereafter, but I don't see any yeah. way there's any dancing. I think he's going to sprint into McGre- into Mayweather's corner, and he's going to start throwing him. Does he get put on his butt in the first 15 seconds? I could see that happening. Does he land yeah. a shot? And Floyd goes, oh, boy, because Floyd's admitted he's bigger. He's got a longer reach. He's younger. McGregor is than Mayweather. Yeah. Um, so, so maybe that youth and exuberance early on, but it's like if they put, you know, I, I kind of liken it when they, you know, talk about like fighting Mike Tyson or, or when somebody's not in their element and they're in somebody else's element at the end of the day, you expect the person more comfortable, the, the more trained pro to come out on top upsets happen in every sport. I just think that this is the type of situation where that, I just don't see that playing out. I, I just can't see it. Even if Mayweather gets popped once. And, and he's got to get up. He gets up. And then he goes back to his business, which is not getting hit, being methodical, and and eventually just popping McGregor so many times in the face that, that the scorecards at the end of the night are going to have to point in his favor. I mean, when you're not in your element, it's it's an uphill battle. And if you were to put a, a layman, you know, a, a great basketball player, out on the soccer field, yeah, he might have some moments, but what's going to happen at the end of the day? It's not his sport. It's not his domain. And I think the same thing's going to apply to McGregor when it's all said and done. He's just not ready for a guy that's undefeated, one of the greatest boxers ever. It's such a mismatch, it's unbelievable. It is, and I think eventually it's going to play out that way. Yeah, but in the meantime, you get the confidence of McGregor, the personality, and and the fire. And uh, he's certainly making it interesting leading up to the fight anyway. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. You know it, brother. You know. Uh, I'll see you in Vegas if we don't talk before then. Vegas, baby. A week away. Should be interesting. A week and three days. (laughs) For John Mita, Joe O'Donnell, it's the Brotherly Love Podcast. Appreciate all the love and support. Follow us on Twitter, at BelovePodcast. Until next time, we'll see Thanks for listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com.